0: You're listening to Alfred and Bruff.
1: This five games for me is, is going to be a big part of our, you know, moving forward, I think. The longer this goes, the more money he makes right now. They, they, they keep producing, he keeps producing. So in America, do you speak English to him, and then in Canada, you speak French to your post? <laughs> oh. I, I do both all the time, because I don't know what um, Iron is from. Now, this is normally what we call an Andy job. A oh, what?
2: An Andy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Andy job. <laughs> Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Alfred. It is Brough. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Andy Job, good morning to
0: you. Good morning.
2: And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Alfred and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle you get paid, visit them. At 1170 Powell Street in
1: Vancouver. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Kintec. Got a big
2: show. I know I say that all the time. Sometimes I don't mean it. Sometimes I'm going through the routine. Mm -hmm. I mean it today, though. Huge show. Four guests. Canucks are back in action. We've got a big giveaway. Fourth day this week, we got a big giveaway. Guest list begins today at 630 Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join the program. We're going to do our NFL divisional playoff round look ahead with Nick on a Thursday. Get out ahead of it a day early so we can start gambling. Start betting all kinds of money on the games. Four games this weekend. In addition to that, we'll also get into all the coaching news with Nick Shook. I guess it should be mentioned that Mike McCarthy is officially back as head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. That was the big news overnight. Nick Shook's going to join us. Excuse me. At six thirty. Seven o'clock, Craig Morgan from PHNX Sports. He is our Coyotes guy. We go to him every time the Coyotes are in the news. Uh, they are in Vancouver tonight. Seven o'clock, Rogers Arena. Canucks get back in action. Did you know that the Canucks have not skated prior to yesterday on Rogers Arena Ice since January second? Oh, really? They've been gone for so long. They're back tonight. Uh, the Coyotes are the op- uh, opponent, so we'll talk to Craig Morgan at 7 o'clock. Will Michael Carconi get in the lineup tonight? He's been a healthy scratch lately. I saw that. Yeah. How do you healthy scratch your third leading goal scorer, honestly? Because he's, he's Michael Carconi. Probably. Right, that is yeah. the answer. Uh, 7.30, Brandon Astle is going to join the program. Astle. Brandon Astle is going to join the program. He is the play-by-play voice of the Abbotsford Canucks. So we'll mm. do an Abbotsford look-in with Brandon as they get closer and closer to the All-Star break, Archie Baines is going to be going to the All-Star game
1: to represent the Abbey Canucks. Yeah, I've been thinking more and more about which Abbotsford Canucks could possibly replace some of the pending unrestricted free agents on the Vancouver Canucks if the Canucks can't afford to keep them all because the Canucks won't be able to afford to keep them all. So I'm particularly curious about a guy like Vasily Podkolzin. Could he step in for Dakota Joshua if they can't afford to pay him? We'll talk to Brandon Astle about some of the players down in Abbotsford who might be ready to take the step, not necessarily now, but next season. Uh, 8 o'clock, final of our
2: four guests today. It's the Drancer, Thomas Drance, from The Athletic and Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, We'll look ahead to tonight's game, look ahead to the game on Saturday against the Leafs. That's all coming up. A reminder, we are giving away uh, second to last, the penultimate, Jason, giveaway for the big football game. Sunday, February 11th, a football game of the American version. A game of note. Uh, we're giving away a prize pack. It's a table, a reserve table for you and five friends, plus a $100 gift card. Uh, and Sportsnet 650 personalities will be in attendance at the Clayton Public House to attend the big football game on Sunday, February 11th. Yeah, Riccio's doing lap
1: dances. That's that's what he decided to do. Is that
3: before or after he swallows fire? I thought he was... <laughs> Can't it
1: be both? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> wow. On While you're <laughs> you in can. your lap. yeah. Careful. Oh, you we know, will j- give you a pair of special goggles. Oh, Don't damn. About- <laughs> You'll kill us all. Probably with the fire.
2: Okay, yes. so if you want to win uh, the prize pack to the big football game, Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Send a what we learned. Make it good. Put a football emoji into your text. You'll be entered into the grand prize draw. Uh, I should mention, again, it is the Canucks and it is the Coyotes tonight. It's also the uh, 32 lots live show taping. We sent all those listeners to Wicket Hall in Victoria. I hope everyone mm-hmm. was able to make it with this very, very unpleasant weather we're having.
1: Yeah, Fridge was in town last night, I think, for uh, Canucks Autism fundraiser at a very fancy restaurant. Uh, published. It's got a Michelin star. Wow. Published on Maine. That's pretty impressive. I haven't been to it yet. I have not either.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, working in reverse on the guest list. I've been to um, McDonald's. That has a Michelin star. I looked report. at
0: published and they told me to leave. Yeah. Please do not glance at our direction, sir.
2: <laughs> <laughs> guest list, 8 o'clock. Drancer, 7.30. Brandon Astle, 7 o'clock. Craig Morgan, 6.30. Nick Shook. That is the guest list. That's what's happening. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened.
1: Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I our- was. We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You
2: missed, it? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. So, the Canucks are now set to begin a five-game homestand before they go into the All-Star break. So, if you look at, really since the calendars turned into 2024, you had a very important and a very uh, successful Seven game road swing. When the schedule came out at the beginning of the year, many saw that, people, or many people saw that as a real moment in the season. Big seven game trip. You got to go back east. They get a break. Now they come back and they get five games at home before another very significant mark in the schedule the All Star game. And these five games, Jason, I've got to say, having done minutes of research last night, the upcoming five games is not exactly a murderer's row of opposition. I say this knowing that I could be setting the team up for a jinx. But I also say this knowing that this team is different. They won't fall victim to a jinx because the head coach, Rick Tockett, is making it abundantly clear, like, hey, we're back home. We're feeling good. We've had some rest. We're relatively healthy. And this is a chance for us to cement that we are a good team before we go into another break at the All-Star break. Uh, Let's hear from the head coach now because Rick Tockett mentioned this yesterday during his media availability. Five games starting tonight with Arizona. Pretty important for Rick Tockett and company.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I come up these next five games, like, um, before we have a 10-day break, this focus level for five games to me is a very key part of our fabric. Like, I'm really interested to see how, you know, and I'm very confident that he will be at the focus level of this team. At, in our building for five games where, you know, we get to rest a little bit here before the next game tomorrow night, but, you um, This five games for me is is going to be a big part of our, you know, moving forward, I think.
2: So you look at the five games and it's tonight against the Arizona Coyotes. uh, Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs, Monday against the Chicago Blackhawks, Wednesday, St. Louis. And then next Saturday, Columbus. It's hard not to look at this and say, hey, four of those five teams aren't playoff caliber.
1: Yeah, you know, I just think back to last season since we often compare how bad last season was to, how good it's been this season. And the Canucks would regularly have absolute clunkers at home. And I think they finished with a losing record at home. They were nineteen twenty and something. Uh I guess three. That would be the math. What am I? Been? I don't know. Whatever. Uh nineteen twenty and two. And they're there there were, they were, they were games that were just dreadful. At home, and you got the the paying customers going and showing up and going like, "Are you is this this the team really?" Mm-hmm. Um, this year, the Canucks have, of course, been good on the road, um, largely based on what they've just done, but they've also been really good at home 14, 4 and one at home. And you know, you, you don't want to get too cocky, but I think the Canucks have been pretty good about their messaging, which is, you know, you don't let the highs get too high or or the lows get too low, not that there have been too many lows, but yeah, Arizona, Toronto, Chicago, St. Louis, and Columbus, you know, as you've noted, the only team currently in a playoff spot of those five teams is Toronto. And, they and to- barely got one. And Toronto is not playing very well right now. Toronto's got all sorts of issues and we could talk about that today. And I'm sure we'll talk about it tomorrow when we preview the Leafs game. Um, You know, this is this is a stretch of games where we should expect the Canucks to win. I don't know, four of them at least. I had that question in here. Yeah, what is a a real like
2: benchmark that you have to hit? Yeah, on this road swing. I mean, you got this home swing. Sorry, yeah. I would say I would say either one of like four wins or eight points. However, you get to either one. Yeah, like, that's it. Sure. Right? Yeah. This is, you know, the other clip that I tried to get from talking, but it was too long and I wanted to get to us talking, of course, is that he was talking about being a special team and being a team that does special things. And some of it was traditional hockey cliche. I get it. But he had um, he had a line that essentially said, one, uh, no level of satisfaction with what you've done. Like special teams don't pat themselves on the back. They don't puff their chests out when they do well, they always are on to the next challenge. And then the other one he said is that there's no, there's no let up ever. And I think that goes hand in hand with being overconfident. But you can't rest on your laurels with the great home and road records that Jason mm-hmm. just alluded to. You can't rest on your laurels that you just went 5-1-1 one, and one on a seven-game swing where you took care of a lot of really good teams in the East and you did so emphatically. Like So essentially what he was saying is the special teams uh, rise to the level of the challenges, but they don't ever sink to the level of their opponents, if but that makes sense. Don't you think they also
1: embrace the work?
2: Like, well, he, they, he mentioned that they, as well. They,
1: they, enjoy, they enjoy the work. Mm-hmm. You know when you, when you hear about successful people? I always think about, uh, who's that Canadian a- um, astronaut, Chris Hadfield? Mm. He was like, he was an astronaut. Oh, I also write books now. Right? You know, like that guy is never... Going to rest on his laurels. He's never going to be satisfied. He's got an album too, and it's yeah. not. And it's not the. It's not the accomplishment. It's very annoying. I. I don't like that when well, people are really, really
0: good at multiple
1: yes, things. Yes, it is. You're
0: good at lots of things, Andy. Not, yep. I'm not an astronaut. No, no not but, yet. He does many but, different a jobs. But Chris, no, but I have I many a jobs.
1: That's yeah. true. But Chris Hatchfield, like I'm, I've seen him with a hacky sack, and he doesn't look very good. And you know, I'm like you well, can. Hacky. I,
0: I guess I got him on that.
1: Yeah, so you got him on that. Um, but these guys they they enjoy they enjoy the work that's actually that's actually almost more so than the results and here's our 2011 reference we always heard about that team that was a pretty special team in terms of how the Canucks were over the entirety of their franchise and their practices were super competitive with each other And it wasn't because, like, someone was saying, be super competitive out there. It was like, we're just a competitive group. We like to compete with each other. We like to work hard. We like to embrace the challenges because it's fun to do that as a team. You mentioned... Playing
2: at home, and that's a big thing for this team. I mentioned off the top of the show, they have not skated at home prior to yesterday since January 2nd at Rogers Arena. And I didn't even realize this until scrolling through some of the notes. This is the first chance that home fans are going to get to see the lotto line in person this season because, of course, the lotto line was put together after the loss in St. Louis. Game one of the road trip. That trio, and by that trio, I'm talking about Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, and JT Miller have combined for, wait for it, 15 goals and 30 points in six games, 30 points in six games since they've been reunited. So it'll be very cool for fans to get to see the reunited lotto line. Hopefully they can keep cooking like they have. I think it might be a tad unrealistic to suggest that they're going to average five points a game for the remainder of the season. Well, they haven't been very good
1: for the last two games. <laughs> did, that, did that just like break your silence? Like just break, <laughs> just break your brain right there. No, they, they they weren't very good for the last two games. I I still don't know if Talkett wants this. He's gonna roll with it for now.
2: Yeah. I don't know long. I still don't
1: know if he wants it. Though.
2: Put it this way I doubt that they s- keep the remainder of the 30 plus games that they have in the regular season mm-hmm. together. Like, one of the things that I think
0: was nice about Yeah, but I mean, him- he didn't want to, he didn't want Heronic and Hughes together. And no, no, no. They the very, very
1: good point. <laughs> so, no, that's you know, a That's
2: you know, a you know, really. Maybe. Good point. Yeah. I just think that, um, forward lines seem much more malleable, and it seems like they're more designed to be changed Mm -hmm. than defensive pairs. Defensive pairs, the big thing that we were talking about going into the season is you want to have the stability and you want to have partners that know what they're doing. With the line combinations, I mean, you see it countless times that they're thrown into the blender either for a spark or because someone's not going. I think what the best part about what the lotto line did over the road trip is show that, one, they can still play together, obviously, but two... You can throw it together at a moment's notice and they're good to go. Like that's one thing that they and Talkett spoke about during the road trip. Well, for me it didn't take a
1: lot of reps to, you know, rediscover the magic. For me, it's not just the lotto line that has to be good together when you when you put them together. I think most of the time you can probably count on them to be pretty dangerous as a line. It's the really the other lines that have to keep up. And we've said it time and time again, one of the reasons that Tockett has been able to put the lotto line together is because you've had success from the Bluger line with uh, Garland and Dakota Joshua, and then you've been able to put Pugh Suter onto a line with McKeef and um, and uh, Kuzmenko. Mm -hmm. Um, So as long as those lines are not getting buried, and I don't think the Bluger line is going to get buried. But I do wonder about that Suter-Mikheyev-Kuzmenko line. Like, what role does that line have? And could it be, in theory, more successful at home when you've got last change and you can maybe get it out there for some softer matchups? That's an interesting
2: point. So I think it was our very own Josh Elliott Wolf. Noting that the majority, if not all, of Andre Kuzmenko's healthy scratches this year have come on the road, yeah. where Tockett doesn't get to dictate final change. Mm-hmm. So makes it's a it's a, good, it's a worthwhile point. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to monitor as well. Uh, tonight's opponent, we should touch really quickly on the Arizona Coyotes, probably quickly because it is the Coyotes. Although it's been a impressive season by their standards, uh, they've fallen off. To start January, they haven't been very good since the calendar turned to 2024. You got a team coming in tonight that's lost five of its last seven. Craig Morgan described it as a quote-unquote crushing loss to Calgary the other night where they had a 2-0 lead, blew the lead in the third period and lost 3-2 in overtime. I always assumed that when the Coyotes got a point on the road, that was a good thing, but maybe standards have changed for the Coyotes. Um, the biggest issue for the Coyotes, and maybe it's a good thing for the Canucks right now, is that they've allowed a ton of goals, and they were normally stingy in the first part of the season since the calendars turned to 2024. I believe it was 27 goals in their last seven games. It's really 27-6 and because they had a shutout against Minnesota a th- couple nights ago. I, I,
1: I don't know. I disagree. I think the biggest issue for the Coyotes is, is that they don't have enough good players. That's probably part of it. <laughs> and maybe one of them's in net. I'm not sure.
2: It is funny when you look some at the, of the names, some of the, some well, of the names. Well, I mean, I, mo- I put it in the notes. I mean, their top two centers were right Right now are Jack McBain and Alex Kerfoot McBain. Get McBain. I can't believe that, that this is a team. They really is. Look, they're four points out of a playoff spot and they have two games in hand. So it's not unfeasible, you know, unfeasible that they could be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But I, then I look at it. And I'm like, how are you going to make the playoffs in the West with Jack McBain and Alex Kerfoot as your top two centers? Like they are pretty light on talent. Uh, Clayton Keller's a good player. He's going to the all-star game. He leads the team in scoring. But I'm with you. I'm not sure how realistic an actual playoff push will be from this group with the guys that they've got. I think they're going to be one that maybe if they can hang around till I don't know, February, that
1: that's a win for them as a team. They've had some big losses lately. They haven't been great. They've been blown out a few times.
2: Um, Okay. I do want to get to the Toronto Maple Leafs thing because you alluded to this earlier. and. Again, all due respect to the Arizona Coyotes, but a lot of people, including in the Dunbar-Lumber text message in basket, are already looking ahead to Saturday's game in Toronto. Hockey Day in Canada, not in Toronto, against Toronto. Hockey Day in Canada, Uh, it's here. you got a Maple Leafs team that's coming in. Sputtering, I think, is putting it mildly. I wonder if there's a crisis of confidence going on for Sheldon
1: Keefe and company. Doesn't Sheldon Keefe always seem like he's fleeing with his players to play better yeah and I think like he's that, always just like he's always seems like he's hanging on by you know if there's the skin one of look, his teeth if there's one team where I would say the
2: players have maybe more power or sway or authority than any other NHL team I think it would be the guys in Toronto right because mm-hmm. because of the salaries because of I mean honestly how good some of them are because of how management capitulated to their contract wants and needs. I just wonder sometimes if Sheldon Keith does have to beg his best players to be his best players. Do we have the audio here? So we're talking about a Maple Leafs team that's lost four in a row. They have four regulation wins in their last 14. They're at the midway point. They're in the first wildcard spot. And Sheldon Keefe is openly asking questions about what players he can rely on in the clutch. That feels like a real crisis of confidence to me. You tell me, though, here is the Leafs head coach, Sheldon Keefe, uh, why he still has a lot of questions about his active roster. Anyone that goes on the ice in those key moments, you know, we need to execute. And some of it is relying upon those who have been here. And then the other part of it, as I'm trying to work through as a coach, is to figure out with all the new
1: players we have, whether it's forward or defense, who who are we gonna rely on in those moments? Who's gonna go out and get the job done? And uh, you know, despite the fact we're through
2: you know, through the halfway point of the season here now, uh, forty two games in, uh, I still have a lot of questions, quite honestly, about who who is gonna go out and, and we can say is for certain who's gonna get the job done for us. To me it's a little bit inconsistent throughout
1: the group and I would put TJ in that in that category. So we've all seen um, from the Canucks this year how important it is to have reliability throughout all four lines and three yep. defensive pairs, right? If you're worried about a certain player going out on the ice, you know, it's, it's hard. And that's why a guy like Kuzmenko gets healthy scratched. And that's why we've liked what we've seen from Nils Hoaglander in terms of the progression that he's made. Um, I wouldn't call him super reliable right now, but he's more reliable. He's less of a problem for the coaching staff. To deal with because um, Manko will have to see. Here's a question for you that yes. we never really um, discussed. Murph reported when um, the Canucks were in Buffalo, snowy Buffalo, that Leafs general manager Brad Treliving was in attendance in Buffalo to watch the Canucks and he was driving back to Toronto post game. And that was quite a commitment to make considering the weather. Sure. Who do you think True Living was there to watch? Oh, Jason, I think you know who I think you might say.
2: <laughs>
1: Did he, what was th- that? Do, what you was think, that? Uh, do you think... Do you think... Oh, God. Now I'm, now I'm creating... Do it. Now. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do you think he was watching Zadorov?
2: Boom! Oh. And, and, and... Do you think... No. Hold on. Hold on. No, I, yeah. Is your logic I here that... Um, they wanted to get him. Well, yeah, but mm. that there's a potential of them acquiring him either in the immediacy or
1: maybe in the summer. Is that what you're suggesting? Mm, not in the summer. I'm suggesting that um, you know if the Canucks want to add, let's say they want to add Tanev. right? right? Let's mm-hmm. say they want to add another defenseman. Doesn't one of them have to go at the door? Does it? Dusty Israel. Yeah, like so you're like,
0: suggesting, they trade the guy they just got and then sign Tanov?
2: No, no acquire Tanef. Acquire Tanef. Got to move someone out. to Move somebody in. You know what I mean? Someone that, it it do you like you um, think would happen? Like Zadorov? You just got in, here though. Defensemen yeah. don't get
1: hurt, do they? Okay. Never. Okay, so oh, if they acquire TANF, um, who who sits and everyone's healthy? Who sits? Zidorov. <laughs> so they got those Chris, the right, the right really side, the right side, yeah, My, the Myers, they're gonna keep, I think. Yeah. yeah, so the right side would be Hronik, Myers, and Tanev and the left side would be, I think, Hughes is probably gonna stay in the lineup. Um, you got Ian Cole there, you got Susie. Is it possible that? Zadorov was acquired partly just as a stopgap for the Susi injury. Do you remember like how there was like, oh, we got Akita Horosi in there, and the, the Canucks were lagging a little bit, yeah, right? 100 at, at that time, and they had Horosi and and Juleson in the lineup. But when I was like, oh, is it possible? Is it just possible that he was looking at Zadorov because the Leafs need to make some acquisitions, they need to figure some things out, and I think we are all pretty sure that True Living. Um, is going to do something. true Living has a connection to Zadorov from his days sure. in Calgary, and is it possible that he was at least there to, at least there to look at Zadorov?
2: Can I just say I'm proud of you? I'm very proud of you because you're cooking up. A, this is a good take. This is a good hot take. It makes a lot of sense. There's logic involved with mm-hmm. it. If you follow the chronology of it, there's some validity to it. But it's also got enough spiciness to make it. You know, muy caliente.
1: Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Uh, and hey like is it it's maybe it's it's maybe like completely rampant speculation. Who cares? Well, it's, it's, that's the best, <laughs> the, best that's the best kind of speculation. That's also, sports talk. That's sports stock. Uh, you're,
2: you're not being like crazy negative. You're not no. trying to like this is to benefit everyone. Maybe not Nikita Zadorov but everyone.
1: They're but beat- if they're gonna bring in if they're gonna bring in a player, like they're gonna need to move salary out. That would be some right? a, a, they couldn't keep I'll tell them you all, what, right?
0: There'd be uh, no way they could afford doing
1: this. Would be like them. 4D chess. Like we
2: bring in Zadorov to stop gap the Susie injury. Yeah. Now Susie's back, so we got him. I'm doing flip, a lot of hand. Flip gestures.
1: them to Toronto, and then you can retain. And then you if you need to, because the Leafs and maybe you're gonna. Maybe it's just like a quick, quick, uh, you know, trade profit.
0: It's too bad there you isn't a way you could Toronto. keep them all though, because you just know there's going to be an no absolutely, in the playoffs. Absolutely, it be Pokemon, amazing man. if we could have the playoffs. can't keep them all. It's I not
2: Pokemon. You can't just keep them all. Okay, you got to move things around. Put them in the box. <laughs> no, but it, box. but it makes sense because it's funny the way that their blue line is constructed. It's like you like what they've got when they're healthy, but you know that they're like one injury or one stretch of ineffective play. That's a like, problem. Right? Yeah. Right? now, I will say this: but you can
1: still bring in like a you can still bring in a depth defenseman after that. <laughs> you can. Make... has
2: turned into a perfect seventh defenseman.
1: Yeah, almost. but you can bring in an eighth, or sure. or a, and and probably for cheap, right? Not you're not you're not going to give up a lot. If you're going to go a on a deep
0: playoff defenseman. run, you need more defensemen than you think mm-hmm. you do.
2: But yep. you need a hierarchy of defensemen.
0: Yeah, you know but I'm just saying I mean? you got to like, you, you got to work with the understanding that one of them or two of them are probably going to get injured. But I, if you're going on a deep run,
2: okay. And here's the other thing. So we just circle back to add to your point. Like Toronto right now is not in a good way. So the reason that Keefe said that is because they've lost uh, four straight and they've blown leads of some way, shape, or form in five of their last seven. Right, and that's an important thing to point out because you got a Canucks team that, what was it, prior to that game in Columbus, it had been 25 and zero when leading after two periods. Like that's a team where there were no questions from the head coach about who you trust to protect a lead. And talk, it's like all my guys, except Kuzmenko, all my guys. Right, like that's the yeah. thing. Keith's asking these questions openly, and there's a lot of criticisms. And the the, the end of that answer was T.J. Brody because mm-hmm. T.J. Brody's taking a lot of heat because they're like. You're deploying him as like a first pair shutdown defenseman, <laughs> and shut anybody down. Like there, he's not protecting leads, so they need help on their blue line. Like I think it's very obvious that they have to go out and do something because this season's kind of getting away from it.
1: Yeah, them. Nick Shook is going to join us soon. Uh, a few people have texted him. Why would True Living travel to watch a player that he watched 82 times a year for the last two years? That's you Mark see him now, White Rock. Yeah, I mean it's a good it's a good point. He could have changed, but um, I just wanted to bring up that that conversation and 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 maybe he missed him. There's I one thing that changes. Stand make your just, logic, and get out of here. I just, I just wanted to see his face <laughs> in person. Yeah, we I, they went to Niagara I missed, Falls. I missed after your that. Musk. <laughs> missed
2: your odor. Yeah. Uh, okay, I we're way up.
1: Your Musk, uh, not your odor. Uh, <laughs> missed your odor.
2: Yeah, those are different things, Andy. Uh, okay, we're way up against it for time. Uh, we've got Nick Shook from NFL.com coming up next. We're going to look ahead to the NFL's divisional playoff round. You are listening to the Halford & Show on Sportsnet 650.
3: The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: 633 on a Thursday Thursday Looks like another snow day for the kids Vancouver School Board just tweeted out All Vancouver School Board schools are closed today Due to weather conditions I'm doing the snow dance for the kids Not for the parents though I'm doing the drinking motion for the parents (laughs) The old glug glug (laughs) Is that breakfast wine?
2: Yeah it is Don't judge me (laughs) You don't know me
0: Yeah why are you putting wine in your cereal
2: (laughs) You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of accurate dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari accurate dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour one, really, even with Jason Bruff's trade speculation, which I love, by the way. I just want to reiterate that. Just this rampant baseless speculation. Yeah, I mean, I do it like every week, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Halford, don't do that." Finally, you came to the. Rough
0: needs to start a new rumor every day now. Leading yeah. up to the deadline, I don't Every th- rumor gets more outlandish as it goes along. I don't call
2: <laughs> it coming over to the dark side. I and, call and one of them will actually hit. Yeah,
0: one of them's got to hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I, when you come over
2: to the hot side. That's what we call the it. The rap horns
0: just get louder and louder. Yeah, and like you can go one for harder.
2: ten. <laughs> they don't remember the nine. They remember the one. Okay, Halford um, and Bruff Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle you, get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go, our NFL divisional round pre-off, uh, playoff look ahead with Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Nick? How are you? Good. How are you guys? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it, as always. Uh, Let's dive right into these four games this weekend. We'll do the exact same thing to start like we did last week. We'll run through all of them, get your picks, and then we'll get to all the coaching news that is out there because there's a whole bunch of it as well. But uh, Let's begin with the first game on Saturday. It is a one thirty kickoff our time. Second biggest underdog of the weekend, C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans go to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Houston, a a 9.5-point dog against the AFC's top seed. How do you see this one playing out in Baltimore?
3: You know, on paper, prior to last weekend, I would have said, yeah, Ravens probably win by 10. You know, the Texans' defense hasn't been consistent enough to stop Baltimore, and I don't know if the Texans' offense will be good enough to handle the... Exotic blitz, blitz looks that uh, Mike McDonald will bring pressure coming from all angles. But then I watched the game last weekend against the Browns. And yeah, the Browns, you know, they probably got further than they should have. And the, the, the pixie dust ran out and Joe Flacco and the Browns coaches didn't adjust in that game and everything else. But I was so impressed. By the way, the Texans handled that situation. They weren't just happy to be there. They weren't just thanking their lucky stars that they got in Week 18. They came in there with a purpose and they played like it and they dominated that game. And that gave me the confidence in this team to think that they could probably beat anybody on a given Sunday. C.J. Stroud has had a fantastic rookie season. He has exceeded every expectation anybody had for him. He's essentially come close to putting the people who run the S2 test out of business because of how well he's performed despite all the concerns regarding his cognitive tests prior to the draft. He's had a fantastic year. I have so much faith in him that I think that he can handle what Baltimore might throw at him. So with all that said, you think about the nine and a half point dog situation with them and everything else, Baltimore's got a little bit of fraudulence to them. They've had some games this year. Yes. Of course, they've racked up 13 wins, but they've had some games this year where they've won in unimpressive fashion, where they just haven't looked like a dominant team. They finished very strong. That's why everybody's on the Lamar train for MVP and everything else. But Lamar himself has not had probably a wire-to-wire MVP caliber year. And I think if there's one team that could catch them, it's a young, hungry, feisty team that's hot at the right time in Houston that's been playing for its lives for a month now and managed to get hot at the perfect time. So I had to pick one upset this weekend. The One upset I went with was the Texans, twenty-eight, Ravens, twenty seven in the game that could truly go anyway. Do you see CJ
1: Stroud as like the next great quarterback in the NFL?
3: I would say yes, provided that he continues to play in an offense that is schemed by a quality coordinator. Bobby Sloak's done a fantastic job in his first season as Texans OC. He has built this offense around the strengths of his quarterback. The biggest strength coming out of Ohio State, we saw it at the combine, we saw it in the entire pre-draft process, and it was exactly why I thought he was the most pro-ready quarterback of this class going into it is his accuracy. He can throw guys open. What I didn't know is that he would be able to handle the pressures and the speed and everything else, the exotic looks that you sometimes get at the NFL level. He's done a fantastic job of that pretty much throughout most of the season. He's had some clunkers here and there. When they played Carolina, it was kind of a clunker of a game. But I have just been incredibly impressed. I haven't felt this good about a quarterback since I watched Joe Burrow take on the Browns in week two. I think it was a Thursday night game of his rookie season. They had it something like 53 times. And the entire game I, I watched him and I thought, you know, for a rookie quarterback early in his first season, he sure looks calm and collected. He sure looks like he can handle the situation. Stroud has done that and more this season and they've been able to win games even after they've lost one of his favorite receivers in tank Dell. Nico Collins having a career year with C.J. Stroud. I think that's going to be a great pairing for years to come. And I don't see any reason, save for drastic change in the coaching staff, that he loses a great, great coordinator and gives a subpar one, that he's not going to continue on this upward trend for many, many seasons ahead.
1: Okay, compare and contrast C.J. Stroud to Jordan Love because later on Saturday, uh, he's got an equally big challenge because he's got to go to San Francisco to play a 49ers team that is a a 9.5-point favorite over the Green Bay Packers.
3: Right. San Francisco team that has a solid team front to back, both sides of the ball, even special teams, all very good. Steve Wilkes, defensive coordinator, Uh, That defense has not been quite as good as it was in years past, but it's still got a very formidable front. You know, you added Chase Young. You've already got Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, one of the best linebackers in the NFL, Drake Greenlaw also in that group, and a secondary that has had to navigate some departures and is still a very strong That is going to be challenging for Jordan Love, but Jordan Love's back half of his season this year, his first spin as a starter, has been so good that folks are now looking at the Packers and and crying to the heavens. Why is it that they just get generational quarterbacks 10 years at a time? The last three have all been fantastic. Well, folks, if, you had, if I had asked you about what you thought about Jordan Love in week eight of this season, <laughs> you wouldn't have been saying that. You'd have been thinking, oh, they might be in trouble. They might have to be finding another quarterback next year. This kid has blossomed in the back half of the season. A lot of it has to do with the fact that he's letting – Matt LaFleur run the offense from the sideline and doing what he's told. And LaFleur is a great chess player. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the, the second half of the season has seen Jordan Love transform from a quarterback who was trying to do too much and had, you know, kind of self-destructed down the stretch in games early in the season where the Packers had a chance to win and he would try to do too much. He'd throw a pick and it would be a crushing turnover and it would end the game for them. He has now just played within himself and done what his coaches directed him to do. And he's on a hot streak. He's playing with an incredible level of confidence so much that he's settling into kind of letting his physical abilities take over. We've seen the throws that he's made. I I swear he's made that same off platform, kind of almost like jump pass where he swivels his hips without his feet even on the ground and just drops a dime in the end zone for a touchdown. I swear he's done that each week for like the last six weeks, once a game, he did it again last weekend against the the Cowboys and he's on a roll. And and now folks are looking at him as the next great Packers quarterback for the next decade. Plus, I love their chances. This is a team that, you know, Jordan love kind of embodies what this team is as a whole. It's the youngest roster in the league. It's a team that's playing with unbridled confidence because they don't know any better. It's they're so young. They don't know any better than to think, Hey, we can go in there and beat anybody. Now they're going to go to Santa Clara. You know, a place that's tough to to play, tough to win against the Niners team that had a week off of rest. Really had a a, a couple of weeks off, if you think about it, considering how they had their one seed locked up. And they're going to be prepared. It's going to be a battle, an undoubted. I, I, I'm so much looking forward to the chess match that's going to happen between these coaches. So I have the I have the Niners winning this game, but it's going to be a close one. Uh, I have the Niners 27 and the Packers 23. And it's another one I think that could go. Any way, because if the Packers play like they did in the first half in Dallas, which is taking early lead, sow the seeds of doubt, then we could really flip this thing on its head and uh, and continue to the ride of excitement and thrills that is with the Packers, a team that you know a lot of people thought weren't even going to be here.
1: Do you think Jordan Love gained a lot from not sitting around and watching Aaron Rodgers? I'm sure he was working, but he got to watch him for two years and then was given the starter swirl.
3: Um, I don't know if it was so much from Rodgers directly as it was just the time to observe and kind of really get a a master's level of understanding of this offense. I think continuity really played a big part in the fact that, you know, he's playing under the same staff. And and he got to sit back and just watch how it was operated by a veteran um, and really gain a a complete understanding of what to do. Because the difference between, you know, Rodgers and Love is a lot of the struggles with the young cast of receivers around Rodgers had to do with the fact that you know, Rogers liked to improvise. He liked to change the play. He liked to go off script and it didn't really fit with the flow overall that the coaching staff had intended for this team. Love is not doing that. He's sticking to what the coaches are telling him to do and playing with a group that, you know, is around his age. They're all just kind of doing what they're told and they've done it over so many reps now to the point where they look like they're really comfortable. So I think it's a combination of a couple of years to learn and just to observe and then the the trust of the staff to play the full season, to not pull the plug on him too quickly, and really settle in. He's had time to develop and get comfortable. And I think now we're seeing the positive results from that. And it, it's going to be really interesting to see how far he can go in the years ahead.
2: We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650K. Let's look ahead to the Sunday games here, Nick. Uh, I'll call them surprising. That's the nicest thing I can say about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The surprising Tampa Bay Buccaneers are headed to Detroit to take on the Lions, who have won their first playoff game in 32 years, the Bucks are six-point dogs. I kind of took a little bit of stick because I said that Tampa Bay was a pretty lousy football team, and they were going to lose to Philadelphia, even though Philadelphia is lousier. I refuse to eat crow. I'm a stubborn individual. I'm just going to go in and say that I think that the Lions are going to take care. just aren't very good. What saith you? That's
3: interesting because you and I weren't – Completely uh, out of touch there. Uh, I mean, the Buccaneers had a rough final few weeks of the season. They had a chance to lock up the NFC South in Week 17 and, and straight up fumbled the bag against the Saints. And we didn't really have much reason to be confident in this team. They put up nine points in a Week 18 win to, to secure the NFC South title and get into the playoffs and get a home game. But I think that last weekend wasn't a litmus test either. Um, the Eagles looked like a defeated team and half for the last six or seven weeks. I mean, so much that. So, You know, we're worried about whether the coach is going to get fired now. Um, I don't think that's a good measuring stick for who the Buccaneers are, but Baker Mayfield has played the best football of his career this season. Um, He's been equipped with a pass-catching group that has a lot of talent, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Rookie Trey Palmer has stepped in and made a difference. They've gotten contributions from lesser guys. David Moore being another one. Uh, He caught a touchdown in that game uh, against the Eagles. And I think that if you can protect Baker adequately – And don't ask him to, you know, be a superhero because he's always going to try to be a superhero. That's who he is. He's the guy that never gives up on a play, you know, sometimes to his detriment, sometimes to, you know, his benefit. Um, I think that, you know, anything is still possible with this team. You know, it's funny because the last touchdown pass he threw was just like a prayer. He was under pressure and threw it up and ended up being caught by Chris Calvin for a score. Um, but it kind of captured the day for them. Everything just kind of went right. That usually doesn't happen for you in a playoff game unless you roll to an easy victory like they did. I don't think that that's going to be the same situation for them in Detroit. It's just a matter of, you know, I look at this matchup and I think which quarterback is better equipped to deal with chaos. And it is Baker Afield. Jared Goff had a great year, but the key to beating the lions is getting Jared Goff off his spot by pressuring him, knocking him out of his rhythm. Cause if he's protected well, He's going to operate and execute that offense at a very high level. He's going to be an accurate thrower. He's got a great arm. But if you throw him out of that rhythm, he's going to turn the ball over. Baker is a wild card because he, he just plays like a wild card at all times anyway. And he, he basically is a chaotic quarterback. So if you throw chaos at him, he might find ways to make it work. More often than not, he has in his career. So if we're talking about which defense is going to dial up the pressure, which defense is going to be, you know, make a bigger impact, it's probably going to be Tampa Bay's. Todd Bowles is not afraid to blitz. They blitzed over 50% in that win over the Eagles. I mean, every third down, you knew it was coming. The Eagles had no answer for it. If you can get the same type of impact against the Lions, suddenly the Buccaneers are in an advantageous position on the road, take some of that volume out of Ford Field, and we might get an upset. So I don't think that they're as bad as you think they are, even though they've been very up and down this year, because when it all comes together, it still is pretty intimidating, and it starts with Baker, who, again, is having the best season of his career.
1: Um, there's lots of talk about the Lions' offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. Do you think he's going to become a head coach for next season?
3: I think he's a top candidate. Um, he's done a fantastic job of scheming this offense to their strengths. Amon um, Ross, St. Brown's had a great year. Jameer Gibbs has, has broken out as uh, a fantastic three-down back. Um, you obviously know what Dave Montgomery provides them on the ground, and Jared Goff's having a fantastic year as well. That offensive line is one of the best in football. Sam Laporte has had a fantastic rookie season. Everything has gone well for them. Um, and I think that when that tends to happen and you get a coaching market that really didn't have many names until we had some surprise departures, you know, last week, you know, Mike Rabel and Bill Belichick now also being out there and available, you see Jim Harbaugh maybe coming from Michigan into the NFL ranks again. Um, it's becoming a crowded group, but I think that Ben Johnson has for a while been one of the leading coordinator candidates to look at getting a head coaching job. So I think that it will happen. It's just a matter of how far the Lions go before he could actually take a job. Our teams patient? Are they willing – to wait long enough to get him, uh, but based on the work that he's done with Goff, who is you know in a, enjoying a renaissance and, a, and what looks like a long-term future in Detroit, based on what he's done with him, uh, that's been enough, I think, to to get him a head coaching job somewhere. Uh,
1: the last of the four games, Kansas City at Buffalo. Um, I'm thinking back to November week twelve, uh, the Bills losing overtime to the Eagles to fall to six and six, and we're looking at this team and going. Are they even gonna make the playoffs? Well, they haven't lost since, and that includes a win at Kansas City. Um, does what was what, is, what what is has I know they made some coaching changes, but what on the field has changed for the Buffalo Bills to allow them to escape from that mediocrity that they had for the first part of the season to uh just a couple of games from the Super Bowl? Well, I think the
3: coaching change coincides with the style change. Um, you know, they've decided after Two and a half after three years of stubbornly refusing to do so, they finally made my year and gave me a Christmas present by deciding that they were going to run the ball in a traditional fashion again. It's downhill running with James Cook, and it's and it's produced you know pretty significant results for them. I think about the Dallas game where Allen threw 15 passes and they ran away with a win over the Cowboys in Orchard Park uh, because they were able they were so dominant on the ground. Aaron Jones just did the same thing to the Cowboys. This is on the running game. There's less that as being asked of Josh Allen. And what's fun is now when they need to put a game away, like they did against Pittsburgh, they can go to a QB power and, and they can let Allen run it and maybe a little bit of a run fake. And the, and the guy he's handing the ball, faking the handoff to becomes the lead blocker. And then of course, you know, how are you going to stop a 65 240 pound truck of a quarterback from getting the first down in a short yard situation? You're not unless it's a sneak where they oddly struggle to sneak successfully. Um, and, and it's, added more diversity to their offense. There's just less being put on the shoulders of Josh Allen, which is really when he's able to flourish and use the full scope of his abilities, you know, the passing game, there's still big plays, but it's still kind of disjointed. But the fact that they can run the ball consistently with somebody other than number 17 makes a whole world of difference for what they can do. They're kind of back on track offensively. I don't ever think they'll be as explosive as they were a couple of years ago. And that's perfectly fine. As long as they play complimentary football. That's why the bills are here. They've won ugly, but winning on the ground usually is uglier than through the air. Totally fine. It's produced the same results. What I'm concerned about in this matchup, and I hate to say it because the bills finally have the home game they're the higher seed. It's time for them to, you know, get over this hurdle that has been their way for the last few years in the chiefs, their defense is banged up, you know, losing Terrell Bernard in that game had an immediate impact and how the Steelers were able to attack them. Suddenly the short pass was open over the middle. Suddenly they could do things between the tackles, and they were able to kind of claw their way back in that game and make it interesting for a while. The Chiefs are better than the Steelers are offensively, even though they've been bad and disjointed for most of this year. Um, You know, all all Mahomes needs is for one of his receivers to make a play or two, and it changes the game completely for them, and it really unlocks everything that they've struggled to get unlocked for the entire season. We saw that kind of against Miami in the playoff game, and um, a banged-up Bills defense that has lost a number of guys, Tredavious White a while ago, Matt Milano a while ago, Terrell Bernard on Monday, um, they were down a couple more corners in that game as well. Their depth has been tested, and I wonder at what point will it break, and will it break mm-hmm. against the Chiefs, who happen to figure it out offensively in the playoffs? That's my nightmare scenario for Bills fans, and unfortunately, that's what I think is probably going to end up becoming reality. Uh, that's why I have the Chiefs with a three-point win, twenty-three to twenty, over the Bills. Sorry, Bills fans.
1: Um, Mike McCarthy is staying in Dallas, and that certainly got a reaction on social media uh, yesterday. So. My question actually isn't about the Cowboys. It's about the Washington Commanders. Um, does it not make sense that this is a franchise that is looking to finally return to respectability? Isn't that the most obvious landing spot for Bill Belichick?
3: That's interesting. I mean, look, every every opening, the first name on the top of the list is, well, that'd be a great spot for Bill Belichick, wouldn't it? And no, it, not every spot is a great spot because – This is a guy who has operated with full control of his team for a long time now um, and would understandably come into the next job with that expectation. That's what he knows. He wants control. He wants to do it his way. question is, is it outdated? I don't know. Is a team willing to give him uh, that type of control? Well, a team that needs some sort of direction probably will. We saw the Bronx do it with Mike Holmgren from a GM perspective about a decade ago. We know how that turned out. But um, I think Washington is a team in transition with new ownership. Um, where they went and hired Bob Myers to help them with their hiring decisions and making, you know, analytical high level decisions that aren't necessarily personnel based. That seems like an ideal compliment to Bill Belichick. It does. Uh, It makes a lot of sense that a new owner would like to go get a a legend in the coaching ranks to turn them around. It's also a place where Vince Lombardi, you know, spent some of his final coaching years after leaving the Packers. So um, there there is some precedent with that as well. Uh, If you want to look at Belichick as a modern day Lombardi, it will be interesting to see what, Belichick decides to do um, and how this whole situation works out. The one downside to going to Washington is you're looking at a situation that's quite familiar to what he left in New England, which is a team without a definitive long-term quarterback, um, a, a second-year guy that, like Mac Jones, the third-year guy kind of fell on his face down the stretch, um, and a defense that needs you know, a lot of help, which they're defensively in a worse position, I think, than, than the Patriots were right now. They do have more weapons than the Patriots did offensively, but... There's a lot of issues to fix there. But if he does want a team in a situation in which he can have full control, it feels like Washington is the place to be.
2: Nick, you're the best man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the games this weekend. We'll do this again next week. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Uh, Nick. That is Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, hour one in the books. Uh, Hour two, we're going to talk to Craig Morgan from PHNX Sports. We are going to look ahead to tonight's Canucks game. Canucks, Coyotes, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Craig's going to cover the Canucks side of things. 7.30, Brandon Astle is going to join the program. He's the play-by-play voice of the Abbotsford Canucks. So a lot of hockey talk in the 7 o'clock hour. Before we go to break, I need to tell you about how you can reserve your spot for the big ball party at the Clayton Public House, hosted by Sportsnet 650. All you got to do is visit theclaytonpub.com. Clayton Public House, good food, good people, good times. Uh, Craig Morgan coming up with a Coyotes Canucks preview here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.